0: Father, it's good to be found in your house today. An opportunity to declare your praises, to lift up your name, and to worship you. Father, now as we look at your word, Father, I pray that our hearts be open to what you'd have to speak into our lives. Father, may we recognize it as your word, and may we be doers of your word, and not just hearers. We want to put your word into practice in the days to come, so help us to do so. Help us to understand today what you'd want us to know and understand. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. This morning I want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's a story of Jesus that's been told over and over and over again. In fact, it's the kind of story I'm sure that... That the people who lived shortly after the time of Jesus would reminisce about and would love to tell around the campfire or to a group of eagerly listening children or any group of people for that matter that would give the storyteller a listening ear to tell his miraculous tale. It's a story about Jesus calming the storm and it's found in the book of Mark, verses four, uh, sorry, verses 35 to 41. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's the book of Mark is in the second half of the Bible towards the end. We also have it on PowerPoint, and it's also printed on an insert for you. So it's in several different places. If you like to follow along as I read it, it says this, starting in verse 35 of Mark 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's quite a picture that we have described for us in this passage. It's a picture of a boat out on the water with Jesus and his 12 disciples in the boat and it must have been a calm evening when they first launched the boat from the shore because scripture records that Jesus fell asleep in the back of the boat. Jesus perhaps had been ministering all day, perhaps several days in a row and decides to leave the crowds behind by getting in this boat and heading over to the other side. They wanted to get away for a few moments from all the people and just have a quiet end. To a long day. And one of the first things that I thought about as I read this passage is this I don't think the disciples would have gotten into the boat and tried to venture to the other side if they knew that there was a storm coming. A storm that would put the safety of their lives in jeopardy. They wouldn't have even stepped into the boat if they knew in just a few moments their lives were going to be in danger. My parents have a, a cabin. On Pelican Lake at our district camp. In fact, we're heading out there this afternoon to take in a few days of family camp this week. And as a child, I spent several weeks each summer out at our cabin. And much to my brothers and sisters and my disappointment, we never had a motorboat. Imagine having lakefront property and no motorboat. We never quite understood it. But we had a canoe. Yippee! While everyone else is out tubing and water skiing and kneeboarding and just ripping around on the water, my brother and sister and I are out there paddling around in this canoe. But if you know anything about Pelican Lake, it's that it's not a great lake for canoeing. The lake is about a mile wide, 12 miles long, and it's down in a valley, and the wind catches it just right, and it's great for sailing. The waves can get fairly high quite quickly. And the scary part, though, about trying to canoe on that lake is how quickly the wind and the weather can change. You can launch your canoe and the water is calm like glass. And then 15 minutes later, the wind picks up and you're being swamped by waves and at the mercy of the wind. There's been more than once that my brother and I headed out to Ninette across the lake and got there by canoe in about 45 minutes only to have to walk back along the shore because the waves came up and we couldn't paddle back. Now, if my brother and I knew before we left the cabin that we weren't going to be able to make it back by canoe because the weather was going to change, then we never would have headed out. We would have chosen another activity or at least a different direction or stayed close to the shore. We wouldn't have ventured across the lake knowing that we were going to run into any difficulty. And I started thinking about this and the disciples. They never would have gotten into the boat if they knew there was a storm coming. That was the last thing they wanted at the end of a long day. You know, if we knew what was actually going to be the outcome of our lives or what we may have to go through or endure, most of us wouldn't sign on in the first place. We don't get to see what's around the corner. And for the most part, I'm glad of that. Because sometimes if we really knew it was around the corner, we wouldn't venture out. Have you ever signed up for something without really knowing what you're getting yourself into or what the task was going to be like? And then when you're actually in it, you think to yourself that if you knew it was going to be this hard or this much work, you never would have signed up. Maybe you even at times have felt God calling you to a certain ministry or go a certain direction for your life. Maybe you feel God moving you towards a certain decision or choices. And at, and at the moment, they seem like an okay thing. The direction may even look exciting or adventurous and because of our simple faith or maybe even our naive faith, we say, sure, I'll do that, I'll go there or I'll get involved in that and we jump in the boat with both feet without really knowing where we're going to be landing. We just get in the boat thinking it's going to be a peaceful little cruise across the lake. It's probably a good thing that we don't know everything in advance because I'm sure we would be too scared to continue at times. Our conservative and responsible natures would win out over our willing, adventurous spirits time and time again. Sometimes we pray prayers, asking God about our futures or what's around the corner, or we get upset with God for not letting us know what was going to happen to us. And we may think we want to know what lies in store for us, but that would be actually very an unhealthy and unwise thing in most cases. And life would also be pretty boring if we knew in advance what was going to happen all the time. I think we'd even be afraid to go in the direction that God wanted us to go in if we always knew in advance what we'd have to go through. The disciples had no idea what they were in for this particular evening. If they did, they would have chosen otherwise. But they head out on the water, and the storm does come up, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And I can imagine the panic in the boat. Some of the disciples were seasoned fishermen who knew what needed to be done, and some of them weren't. And I can picture the fishermen in the group suddenly barking out orders to those that didn't know what to do, but everyone was quick to act as a team and do their best to work together against the storm because their lives depended on it. And one thing a storm in life does is it really shows you who's on your team. Because you quickly realize if you're going to survive if, that you are better and stronger as a team. When a family goes through a tough time, it brings them closer together. When a staff or an organization goes through a rough stretch, it often brings them closer together. While some would see a storm as an opportunity to bring destruction and division, they can also bring a sense of unity. As Brandonites fought the flood this spring, it didn't matter who stood beside you while you were sandbagging, you were together with one purpose and one cause. In some cases, it brought people together for one purpose who otherwise would have nothing in common and more than likely wouldn't give each other the time of day. But a stressful situation gave a common goal to people. Storm situations, while they try and divide and tear apart, will often have the opposite effect. They can bring great unity. There was suddenly unity among the disciples. And together they were doing whatever they could do to fight the storm. And the wind was howling and the waves were crashing over the sides of the boat. Everyone is yelling out orders. They're straining and putting their back and arm and leg strength into keeping the boat above water. And somehow through all of this, Jesus is asleep. And finally one of the disciples, or it says the disciples wake him up. And, and, and it says, don't you care if we drown? In a strange sort of way, it's, kind of, it's almost comical. Waves crashing, boats swaying side to side, men yelling at each other, working as hard as they can, fearing for their very lives, and Jesus is just sleeping peacefully through all that. No panic, no worry, no apparent concern for the situation. He's just physically tired from the day, and he decides to get some sleep. Now this is the part that I never really thought about before. Why did the disciples wake up Jesus? When the disciples woke up Jesus, I don't think they woke him up thinking that Jesus would be able to calm the storm. They weren't thinking to themselves, okay, don't panic, we have Jesus here, there's a storm, he'll do something miraculous and we'll just continue on our cruise, no problem. They weren't thinking that at all. I think the disciples woke Jesus up because he was annoyed that they were all panicking and and doing all they could to manage the storm and save their lives, and Jesus was just sleeping, oblivious to the situation. He wasn't helping them out, and he wasn't panicking like everyone else was. And in my own situations, when I want to worry about something, or when I want to panic or when I want to feel sorry for myself, the last thing that I want is someone to come by who doesn't seem like they even care. I want someone who will panic with me. I want someone who will worry with me. I want someone who will huddle with me and agree, yeah, that's a terrible situation you're going through. That's what I want. And that's one thing that God spoke to me about in my own heart, about as I was studying this passage. I need to be careful that when I have to face difficult situations... Or maybe something that I think is unfair, that I don't just run and find someone that will listen to me and feel sorry for me and have a pity party with me. It's nice to have someone that will comfort and console you when you need it. There are times that type of ministry is greatly needed and appreciated. But there comes a fine line between bringing consolation and comfort and someone who will just agree with everything you say and allow you to remain in your state of misery, your state of worry, and your negative attitude. It will just add to the negative way that you feel and it starts an unhealthy downward spiral in your life. And the disciple in this story, I don't think was waking up Jesus because he thought Jesus had a remedy for for the situation. He just wanted Jesus to do his share of the help and at the very least be aware of the situation so he could panic and worry like the rest of them. But Jesus doesn't panic. In fact, you will never find an instance where Jesus seems to be anxious or worried about anything. He doesn't fret. He doesn't even seem to hurry. Even when the situation would seem to warrant hurrying the classic example of this is the story of jesus and lazarus mary and martha go and find jesus to tell him essentially that his dear friend lazarus is dying and and jesus should come right away to see him but it says in john 11 verse 6 it says this so when he heard that lazarus was sick he stayed where he was two more days Nothing would prompt Jesus to move any faster than he intended to go. Not even the sickness of a dear friend. So Jesus waited. And in that time that Jesus waited, Lazarus actually died. And they had to bury him. Jesus didn't make it in time. But the story doesn't end there. The stage was set for perhaps one of Jesus' greatest miracles. And Jesus raised his friend Lazarus back to life. You can read it for yourself, John chapter 11. Jesus doesn't panic or hurry, even when the situation would seem to deem it necessary. And back in the boat with the disciples and Jesus and the storm. We know how the story ends because we read it together this morning. Jesus wakes up and calms the storm. And then the disciples were in amazement of what Jesus did. In fact, it says they were terrified. They were panicked and worried about their own lives in the midst of the storm. For the most part, they were probably too busy to really think about being afraid. But then Jesus suddenly calms the storm, and they become terrified. Scripture doesn't even use that word to describe their fear of losing their lives to the storm. They were worried about the storm. Now they're terrified of Jesus. It's funny how the story turns around so quickly. And I asked myself, why were the disciples so amazed at Jesus? Why were they now so terrified of Jesus? Because that's not what they woke Jesus up for. They woke Jesus up because they wanted him to join them in their panic. They wanted him to get involved in fighting the storm alongside them. But instead, he transcends the entire situation. And just like that, suddenly and completely, he removes the storm. And it—it's sometimes I, it's like I cop out a little in my faith, or maybe at times I, I've even copped out a lot in my faith, because I have prayed prayers like, God, would you please wake up and let me know that you're with me and help me get through this situation? I've prayed prayers like that, so to speak. Or I may ask God in frustration, God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you realize what I'm facing right now? How many times... I've asked God questions that I already know the answer to. God, do you know what I'm going through? Yes, He does. God, do you know what I'm facing right now? Yes, He does. God, do you know how this hurts and how much pain I'm in right now? He created me, He knows exactly how I feel. God, don't you care that I might drown? Of course, He cares. These are all questions that if I was honest in my heart of hearts, I already know the answers to before I even ask them. But in my frustration or my lack of faith at times, I ask them anyway. And when the disciples wake up Jesus with their question, don't you care that we may drown? The disciple already knew the answer to that question. It was a rhetorical question. It was just his way of telling Jesus to get to work like the rest of them. He was really asking Jesus the wrong question. And sometimes I find myself asking Jesus the wrong questions. Or perhaps praying the wrong prayers. I may pray, God, I... I know there's probably nothing that you can do or will do about the situation that I'm in right now. Maybe I even deserve the situation that I'm going through, but I just wanted you to know how I feel about it. We need to realize and remember that no situation comes as a surprise to God. Think about that for a moment. We get surprised. We get amazed and wowed and worried, but not God. And if nothing ever comes as a surprise to him, then nothing will ever cause him to panic. There's nothing that will cause him to become anxious and worried. And there are times that I need to remember this truth, that there is no situation that I have to face that comes as a surprise to God. I never have to worry about coming to God and saying, God, what do I do now? This situation I'm in, what do I do? And then having God respond, hmm, you got me on that one. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't see that one coming. God never responds that way. He knows what we have to face and has an answer for our situation. But I also need to remember that not only will God help me get through, but He is even able to work a miracle. He can change, rectify, even heal the situation. God already promises to be with me. God already knows how I feel. I know those things about God. What I find challenging is remembering to be more bold in believing that God is in control of my situation that I am facing, that He can work a miracle in any situation that I have to face. And sometimes we pray and ask God to just get us through. Or we pray and, and ask God to be with us. And I think sometimes God must think to Himself, Okay, well, if you just want me to get you through, then i'll get you through or well if you just want me to be with you during this difficult time in your life okay i'll just be with you and god answers our prayers and he gets us through Or he stays with us as he promises. And meanwhile, God is God. And he can in fact change the entire situation. He could work a miracle. He could do more than just see you through or be present with you. He could turn your whole situation upside down if you asked him to. Sometimes I think we're too easily satisfied. And Jesus could have woken up at the disciples calling and wiped the sleep from his eyes and said, Okay, I'll humor you. I'll grab an oar. I'll start rowing for a while. If that's what you really want me to do, Jesus could have done that, and I think that would actually have been strangely humorous because Jesus is able to change the entire stormy situation. He just says the word and it's over. He could even go back to sleep if he wanted to. We need to be careful that we don't put limits on God. When you have to face your weak or face that situation that may be difficult, do you just want God to be with you? Do you just want him present as a quiet bystander, quietly aware of your situation? Do you want him just as an equal member of your party, your family, your workplace, your school? Or do you want him to take control of your situation and change it? Do you want him to lead your family? Do you want him to to transcend your workplace and your school? He's able to do that. Do you want to, to fret and worry about choices and situations that may come tomorrow and, and just ask God for His stamp of approval in all your decisions? It's funny how we sometimes ask God to bless what we decide to do. Think about that for a moment. We sometimes make a decision in life and then ask God to bless it. Wouldn't it be far better for us to find out the direction and decisions that God would have us make first because then we would know that that way was already Blessed. It makes sense to me that that would be the best way we could possibly live, running the direction that God is already going in. We fret and we worry about decisions we have to make or situations that may come tomorrow when it would be far better to let God lead us and then rest in the peace and the assurance that God does have all things under control, that there is nothing that surprises him, there is nothing that causes him to panic, and he has our best intentions in mind according to his plans and purposes. In all reality, if the disciples really realized who Jesus was, they could have woke him up and said, Jesus, there's a storm. If there's anything you need us to do, we're willing to help you out. But otherwise, could you deal with the storm, please? Because our lives are in danger. And if you need us, we'll be right here. But some of us are getting a little tired, so we're going to lie down and take a turn, getting some sleep while you handle the storm. We know everything is going to be okay because you are here. That would have been a very different story. But that's obviously not the way it was. Jesus rebukes the wind and the wind dies down. And Jesus rebukes the waves and the waves die down. But Jesus isn't finished rebuking. The wind and the waves aren't the only things to to receive his rebuke that evening. Jesus turns to his own disciples and gently rebukes them for their lack of faith. Why are you so afraid? Why are you panicky? Why are you worried? And sometimes I feel God gently his gentle rebuke in my life and I feel God asking me, "Why are you so afraid?" Why do you still worry? I remember I need to remember that fear and worry and panic never change a situation. But faith in God can change a situation. Philippians 4 verse 7 is a favorite verse of many people often quoted in part even as a benediction. It says this, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. Who wouldn't want the peace of God in the midst of life's storms? And this is no ordinary peace. Paul describes it as a peace that will transcend all of our understanding. That means even when the situation around us would dictate otherwise, even when the situation would seem to warrant worry and panic, depression, anxiety, fear, or doubt, we can still have a miraculous sense of peace. And he goes on, this peace will also guard your hearts and minds, meaning this peace will have long-lasting effects. It's not just a passing sense of elation here today, gone tomorrow. It's a sense of peace that will stay with us. Now, who wouldn't want that type of peace, that kind of peace? But what we sometimes forget is that Philippians 4 and verse 7 is actually a continuation of the verse before it. You want to know how to have this sense of miraculous peace in your life, even in the midst of life storms. It's found in verse 6. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you really want to live with a miraculous sense of God's peace in your life, day in, day out, on a continual basis, then we need to learn not to worry or to be anxious or panic, but rather take our concerns and our situations and our very lives to God in prayer. You may tell God, God, I don't understand the situation that I'm facing. Or God, I'm concerned about my test tomorrow. Or God, this situation seems to be more than I can bear right now. God, I need your miraculous sense of peace in my life. I need to know that you have all things under control and that you aren't going to let anything happen to me that's outside of your will and you have my best interests in mind. Thank you that you care for me, God. And God hears and loves those type of prayers. And if we are honest in presenting our requests before God and leaving our situations with God, then He promises to give us that sense of peace that is even beyond our human understanding. God will answer that prayer. In our humanness, we try and care for each other. We tell someone that we care. We do our best to show that we care. We even build certain residences and call them care homes so we can give better care to those who need it. But our best care for each other is still imperfect. We still make mistakes, we still hurt each other, and there is some that will still feel abandoned by people and uncared for. But God's care is perfect. It's intentional, it's genuine, and it's 24-7. God cares for us all the time. And because He cares so much for us, He doesn't want us to experience any worry. He doesn't want us to experience any panic, fear, or doubt. We're reminded in First Peter 5 and verse 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. God loves us so much and cares for us so much that He doesn't want us to go through life with worry and anxiety. He doesn't want us to panic or be afraid. Anxiety is debilitating to a person. It's like a heavy chain that you're constantly dragging around. Proverbs 12 and and 25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. When a person worries, it can even have an effect on their physical well-being. When a person is anxious, they have trouble sleeping at night, so they live tired all day. When a person is worried, they can even it can even upset their stomach and affect their eating habits. When a person is panicky, it affects all the others around them, and it, and it becomes difficult for other people to have any kind of a relationship with them. God knows that worry will weigh a person down. And God loves and cares for you so much that He doesn't want anyone to experience that. So He asks us to cast those anxieties and those concerns and those worries on Him and let Him deal with them. Let Him take control and replace your fear with a miraculous sense of God's peace. Miraculous peace. Getting back to the disciples, I want to let them off the hook a bit here. This story was still fairly early in their relationship with Jesus. They hadn't had a whole lot of time together and and a lot of life experiences yet, but they would eventually grow in their faith. They would learn to cast their cares on God. They would learn to rely on the Holy Spirit's leading. And those same men who were at one time afraid of a stormy sea would become great missionaries and pastors and teachers and evangelists who would, in fact, change the world. They would still have to face many challenging times. Most would end up dying for their faith, but they learned to trust God and follow His leading for their lives. And they learn to trust that God's ways are always best. Ask yourself these questions this morning. What do I need to trust God for today? What storm am I facing perhaps today? What is about tomorrow that's causing me some anxiety? God cares for you so much, That He wants you to present your needs and your requests and your situations to Him and cast your worry on Him and let Him miraculously change your situation and let Him give you a miraculous sense of God's peace. I'm so happy today that we serve a God who never panics. Nothing comes as a surprise to Him. God is in control of your situation and He cares for you. Let's pray together. Worship team, you can come as I pray. Father, we are so grateful for Your Word today. We're so thankful for your word and your promises. We thank you that we could stand on each one of them and we know are sure. Father, thank you that, that you never panic, you never worry, you never fret, nothing ever comes as a surprise to you. But Father, in, in our frailty, in our humanness, sometimes we, we do worry and we have anxious moments. And Father, we don't know what lies in store for us tomorrow. So we begin to get concerned about our futures. Father, help us just to to cast our cares upon you today. Father, help us to to learn just to, to leave these things at your feet. Allow you to work in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would just have that overwhelming sense of your peace in our lives. As we leave those things with you, Father, replace it with that sense of miraculous peace. Father, for anyone here today that may be experiencing a storm in their life, as going through a time of anxious thoughts and concerns and worry, Father, I pray that you would do a miracle in their life today. Father, as they let go of those things, as they let go of them and and present their requests to you. Father, do a miracle in their life today. Replace that worry with hope and peace that only comes from you. Thank you, God, for your word. May we live out your word in the days to come. In precious name, precious name. Tristan's going to lead us in a closing course. If you have a need and would like someone to agree with you in prayer, and pray for you. Please feel free to come and and, uh, come to the front of the church and there'll be uh, prayer teams and we'd just love to have an opportunity of praying for you today. Whatever your name may be, our altars are open. Feel free to come as we sing. Let's stand together in closing.